I spend a lot of time these days teaching my kids how to be together. The scene in our house goes something like this. Jack hits Molly, mostly to annoy her, sometimes to get her attention. I intervene and say, that's not how we treat each other, often with a timeout. At the end of the timeout, we say, what do we say when we've hurt someone? And I need him to apologize. And he walks in and says, I'm sorry. Usually in this fairly sarcastic voice, mostly less than sincere. And if Molly looks up at all, she says, thank you, Jack, and continues playing. And we proceed with our life in an otherwise peaceable house for another 15 minutes or a few hours, if we're lucky, until we rinse and repeat this exact same scenario. Such is life with a three-nager at home. But it certainly makes me wonder whether my efforts as a parent are effective at all. The truth is we want our children to know what to do when we hurt someone how to apologize, and how to forgive, because we want our children to grow up to be adults who understand that we don't live perfectly. Sometimes we hurt each other. And when we do, we take responsibility for our actions and we seek to make it right. Why? Because the relationships we hold with each other matter. And at the end of the day, we're striving to love our neighbors as ourselves, just as Christ has taught. And maybe that's Pollyannish, but I think it's at the heart of the gospel. As we continue in our summer series of Scripture and Screen, this week you are invited to engage with an episode of Ted Lasso, where this kind of hurt and apology and forgiveness play out among adults. For those of you who haven't seen the show, Ted is this unbelievably enthusiastic, light-hearted American football coach who's been recruited to coach British football, soccer, on a professional team called UFC Richmond, a job he is in no way qualified for. And with his sheer positivity, the team is trying to turn it around, but seems to face setback after setback. And as the show unfolds, we learn that these setbacks aren't an accident. Ted was hired by Rebecca, the team owner, who wanted the team to lose. And she makes decision after decision to undermine the team's success, in most cases without Ted knowing that it was her. She had become the team owner in a divorce settlement with her ex-husband, Rupert, and she wanted to destroy everything that was precious to him because she was carrying around so much hurt and anger. But over time, you watch Rebecca develop, and you see that the weight of what she's carrying, the grief and the shame, the intentional harm of Ted, who has done nothing but bring her homemade biscuits in a cute little pink box every single day with a smile on his face, that weight becomes more than she can bear. And it's affecting her and her other relationships, and it's not who she wants to be. Her life at this moment is led by the anger and wrath and malice that Colossians speaks of, and Ted is simply the recipient of her pent-up anger. Richard Rohr writes that if we don't learn to transform our pain, we will surely transmit it. And that is exactly what she has done to Ted and the Richmond soccer team. 
And so in the episode that you were invited to watch this week, she walks into Ted's coaching office and comes clean. She admits everything that she has done to hurt him and the team. She confesses that she did it to hurt her ex-husband, and she didn't care who the collateral damage was in the way. She says with these tears in her eyes and genuineness in her heart, Ted, I am so sorry. And she assumes that she'll have to take responsibility. She follows it up with, if you, if you want to quit or call the press, I totally understand. Retribution is what she expects, an eye for an eye. And instead, Ted looks her in the eyes and says, I forgive you. It's the most disarming, surprising, powerful response imaginable. And you see her shake her head and say, wait, wait, what? Why? But there he stands, offering up undeserved grace. Divorce is hard, he says knowingly. Heck, I'm coaching soccer for heaven's sakes in London. And as if he had taken a note straight from Colossians, he decides to clothe himself and Rebecca with love, to let the peace of Christ rule in his heart, to be thankful for the job and the team and the opportunity that he has no matter how he got there. It's one of those powerful, jaw-dropping scenes in television that kind of restores my faith in humanity and leads me to believe that the transformation through forgiveness might just be possible after all. And while I love it, and the actors make me believe it, I also have to say that I don't think forgiveness is really quite that easy. True forgiveness is hard, complicated work. It requires a degree of recognition of harm, a desire to right a wrong, and most especially, it requires an immense amount of work on both parties to find a path forward. In life, even in our prayers of confession in the church on Sunday morning, we sometimes talk about forgiveness as, a, as if it's this simple transaction. I'm sorry, I forgive you. But the layers of what's required for that to be real and true are not so simple. South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu writes that forgiveness is the capacity to make a new start. He says forgiveness is the grace by which we enable the other person to get up, to get up with dignity and to begin anew. In the act of forgiveness, we are declaring our faith in a future of relationship and in the capacity of the wrongdoer to change. But he is also quick to share that forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Amnesty does not mean amnesia. Tutu goes on to write this way. He says, forgiveness doesn't mean pretending that things aren't as they really are. Forgiveness is the recognition that a ghastliness has happened. Forgiveness doesn't mean trying to paper over the cracks, which is what people do when they say let bygones be bygones, because they won't. Forgiveness means that the wronged and the culprits of those wronged acknowledge that something happened. Then, he says, once the culprit says, I'm sorry, the wronged person is under obligation if he is a Christian to forgive. And forgiving means offering the opportunity for a new beginning. That 
is a lot harder than a made-for-TV apology from Ted Lasso. But it's also honest. And it's what's reflected in this call from Colossians, this call to put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language, and instead clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. It's a big ask in the world today. And Colossians doesn't stop there. Not only are we to live with those values, but we are to bear with one another, to forgive each other, and to clothe one another with love that reflects the kind of new start, new life, and new relationships that Tutu describes. Here's what I know. This call to live together is beyond what we are capable of alone. The good news of Colossians is that that capacity to forgive comes from Christ and Christ alone. The forgiveness Tutu describes, the forgiveness Colossians calls us to, comes only from a God whose undeserved grace has already been lavished upon us. The kind of forgiveness Ted offered Rebecca, it doesn't just happen. We only forgive when we are empowered by Christ's own forgiveness of us. And because of that forgiveness, that undeserved gift, we strive toward a life in which Christ's love and peace can emanate forth. That is a gift from God. And it sets us apart as human beings, as Christians, in how we forgive, live, and love in this world. And perhaps that's our greatest and most challenging call in the world right now. To live as those for whom God's grace is real when the world feels merciless and full of enmity. Because what I see in the world right now is so many of us who are burdened with anger and wrath and malice. It comes out in social media posts and tweets. It comes out in how we treat one another in the grocery store and at a stoplight. It comes out in our inability to speak to one another across difference, and it inhibits our ability to live as those clothed with love. And I'm not saying that there are not reasons to be angry or sad or frustrated right now. There are a lot of injustices in this world that we should be angry about. There are those, including those in this room, who feel their personhood is not safe today. And Colossians is not expecting anyone to jump to forgiveness without those they are in conflict with seeing them first as holy and beloved just as Christ has made them. But we are a society carrying around generations of grief and pain that are a result of how we have mistreated each other. In everything from personal relationships to laws and policies and decisions that impact autonomy and safety and freedoms that we seek for ourselves and our neighbors. Living by God's grace doesn't mean we are to pretend things aren't the way they really are. This past week, a group of Morningsiders uh, journeyed to Montgomery to visit the Legacy Museum that recounts the history of slavery and racism and white, su white supremacy in this country. The trip was another step in our journey toward becoming a Matthew 25 church. And this museum unpacks the history and the pain of our African-American brothers and sisters and the pain that they carry from past hurts and present injustices 
from slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration. At the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, we stood underneath the hanging pillars meant to make us think of strange fruit. Each of them lists the names of those lynched in counties all across the country from 1877 to 1950, including our very own DeKalb and Fulton counties. You cannot experience this museum without an acknowledgement that there is confession and forgiveness and reconciliation and justice work that we have to do. And I won't speak for others who went, but the remarkable part of my experience on Thursday was that I don't think the museum's goal was to guilt or shame me, nor was it to let me off the hook or relieve me of any responsibility. As I walked out the final door of the museum back out into the world, I felt like the museum had helped open a door to be a partner in working toward justice, but work that requires us to move through steps of confession and forgiveness. And this work of racial reconciliation is just one place in our society today that requires us to pursue this call from Colossians. Colossians isn't asking us to put aside the hard work toward justice. It's not asking that we forget the wrongs that have happened, nor is it washing us clean of ways that we have wronged others. But it is offering us a path forward, a way to walk in new life in Christ. And at the center of that work, before we can get to the love and the peace and the gratitude that Colossians closes with, the center of that work is forgiveness. Reverend Sam Wells, vicar of St. Martin in the Fields in London, writes that forgiveness is part of a larger process of making peace. This work is not a quick fix, he says, but more like a 12-step program, one that requires you to work the steps over months and years. It requires intention and layers, and they don't happen magically or all at once, despite a three-minute TV clip we watched this week. In Wells' 12-step plan, forgiveness doesn't even show up until step nine. There's a lot of work required to get there, he writes. And when you finally do, what you need to know is that the genuine act of forgiveness is something from above. It's something we have access to as a people of faith because we have chosen to let Christ rule in our hearts. He writes, forgiveness is a gift bestowed by the Spirit and not something we can generate for ourselves. Colossians calls us on a journey that requires us to pursue the work of forgiveness as a necessary part of clothing ourselves in Christ's love. Perhaps that work begins for you with a loved one, a family member, an estranged friend, a person you've hurt. Perhaps that journey for you begins with the broader work of accounting for our complicity and harms against the least of these in our society. Perhaps you're sitting here as one who has been wronged by another or by our systems, and this work of forgiveness begins with helping others know the thing that has happened, as Tutu says. It's hard work. 
It's holy work. It's the long work of forgiveness that is possible only because we have chosen to be together as a church, to clothe one another in Christ's love. And so it's work that we take up together. For the Christian story, the story of hope made known through Christ's forgiveness and resurrection sets us forth on that journey together that we speak of here all the time, that journey as the body of Christ. And together we can help others see and know and experience Christ's love because we choose to live, forgive, and love differently in this world. As after Ted had forgiven Rebecca, he said to her, you know, I think if you care about someone and you've got a little love in your heart, there ain't nothing you can't get through together. May it be so. Amen.